This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Tapp, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. We're not taking your phone calls today. It's drive time. We hope you'll instead call into our call center to contribute to Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the love of Mississippi. Money Talks will be playing It's a Numbers Game with numbers that relate to personal finance. Play along with us and test your personal finance knowledge. To make a contribution to support MPB, give us a phone call. The number is 1-888-372-4483, or you can go to mpbonline.org. And since this is a show about, you know, uh, proper use or wise use of money, it's a double a match today. It's two for one. So in other words, for every dollar you contribute, we're going to match it with $2. So if you've been meaning to make a contribution, now is the time to do so. Do it right now uh, while it makes the most good. So good morning to both Nancy and Ryder. Uh, let's start with financial news as we always do. And Nancy, we'll start with you. Well, um, we're always saying that the economy is not the market and vice versa. And uh, we certainly saw that this first quarter, right, Ryder? It was a rough quarter. It was a rough quarter, but the economy was not so rough. No. I mean, we added 431,000 jobs last month. Our unemployment rate has ticked down to 3.6%. Incredible. We're starting to see those 50-plus workers heading back into the workforce, so it's good news. Yes, but the stock market did not see all of that good news. Obviously, the concerns about rising rates and inflation, which we talked about incessantly through the end of last year and the beginning of this year, did weigh on the market. And then we had a, a surprise conflict uh, escalation, a war in Ukraine, and what we saw was that the S&P 500 was down for the quarter about 5%. That's after it declined almost 15% from kind of the, the peak to trough. We like to measure that a lot of times. And that hurt. That, that, was, that yeah. was painful. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And no matter, how, no matter how long-term your perspective is, you, you, you know you're going to, to grow past these things, but you, you don't like seeing them in the moment. Um, but surprisingly, even bonds, they were kind of steadily down. They've been kind of steadily declining since sometime mid-late last year. And they were actually down almost 6%, so down further than the S&P 500. Although, although before you think, oh, maybe I should get out of bonds and get into, uh, get into stocks, that is with far less volatility than the stock market. The stock market was all over the place all quarter. You wouldn't have been able to stomach it if you are depending on your portfolio for income. Anything else in the news that uh, is interesting? Well, I see Java over there is is photoing some new merch. I don't know if I can preview that, so I'll keep quiet what it is because I'm sure some people are going to call in and, and give, and they're going to get some pretty pretty sweet items over there. That's important. Well, one thing, Kevin, is that uh, we're watching gas prices. Everybody watches gas prices, especially at my house. And uh, this announcement of releasing uh, barrels from our reserve we think is going to knock the price down somewhere in the 25 to 35 cent range. Wow. It's all relative. After we've been over $4, it's going to feel like, yay. 
Yeah, so the combination of that plus people just pulling back a little, a little more remote work, maybe maybe cutting those long weekend trips a little short, that will all decrease demand for gasoline. But the more important story or the more exciting story that I have been looking at today has been that Elon Musk, uh, the uh, billionaire owner uh, or CEO of Tesla, makes electric cars. Uh, he got his start with PayPal uh, back in the late 90s. He has taken a large stake in Twitter. Uh, he is a b- prolific tweeter. He has a, b- a bajillion followers. I actually did, did not look up the, quite the number, but I think it's close to a bajillion. Very popular on Twitter, very combative on Twitter. Uh, oh, yeah. T- takes polls saying, oh, do you think we should do more for this or that on Twitter? And he has taken a stake in Twitter. He has been offered a seat on the board. So this is just interesting. And you see this a lot of times. A lot of times this sort of stuff does not, it stays out of the public eye, even though this this is the sort of thing that can spill into public news. It's called activism. When a large investor or a group of investors takes a large stake in a company and agitates for change, they just think they can run the company better. They have some better ideas. They want a seat on the board or multiple seats on the board. And so this is a very public activist campaign. These are things that can spill into the public, uh, but this this one is just more visible than most, I think. So we're playing a numbers game today with digits that relate to personal finance. Play along with us and test your personal finance knowledge. The digits in our questions will keep getting bigger. Now, this was not pre-planned. This is sort of karma because the first question is, what comes to mind when I say two for one? Well, Today, especially, two-for-one has a special meaning because when you make a contribution, it's a two-for-one match. For every dollar that gets contributed today, um, one of our loyal listeners in Duck Hill is matching that with $2. So two-for-one is great when we're talking about contributing to MPB Think Radio. Uh, Otherwise, uh, go ahead, Nancy. shoes, Shoes on sale. (laughs) (laughs) All right. A shoe sale for two for one would be immense, that's for sure. But uh, what else comes to mind? We we haven't even gotten to the real answer yet, guys. (laughs) So two for one, when we're talking about uh, stocks, we're talking about maybe splitting your stock. Uh, So you get two shares where you previously had one. And this has actually been in the news recently. Amazon did it. What was the ratio that Amazon did, Nancy? Was Was it a seven for one? Oh, gosh, I don't remember because, you know, I don't even pay attention to those splits because they don't really have meaning, So even though people get excited about them. Yeah, so people get excited about share splits. And all it is is you started the day with one share. Say say there was a company had 100 shares and you had one of them. You owned one one-hundredth of the company or 1%. And say they decided, oh, our share price is getting so high, we want to make it easier for people to buy because maybe the price went from $10 to $100. It's just harder to find $100 if you want to buy a share. And they said, okay, we're going to have a two-for-one split. So we're going to go from having 100 shares to 200 shares. And everyone who has one share will get two shares. And everyone who has five shares will get 10 shares. So you still have the same share of the company. You still have two two-hundredths, which is the same as one one-hundredths, which is the same as 1%. The amount of your ownership does does not change. What changes is really just a technical thing with the ability of folks to buy and sell that stock. 
there is some increasing examples recently of that being generally good for a company's stock just because it does make it easier for folks to trade. It does allow more shareholders to come to the table. But like Nancy said, there is no fundamental change to the company. So really, long term, this is, is kind of meaningless. And the price is going to split as well. So if it's a two-for-one and you started out with a $20 share, a two-for-one, the next day it's going to be $10 a share. So your total value, as you said, is still the same. Now, there is this thought process that um, there is some magic uh, range at which you invite more Mm -hmm. uh, investors in who can purchase a round lot, which is 100 shares. And that's usually somewhere in the 20 to $30 range. And so if it gets so high, the thought is, you know, less people can participate. And remember, uh, the market is an auction. So more people wanting to buy shares means it bids up the price. In the short term, you may get a bump. But longer term, it's really about the value of the company. All right, let's move on. More numbers games here today. Uh, what do the terms W2 and W4 mean? Let's uh, start with Ryder. This is not WD-40, I'm guessing. That's, that comes <laughs> that's the later. Wednesday show, that's yes. Wednesdays. Oh, that's correct. Um, so W-2 and W-4, we're talking about tax forms. We're talking about things dealing with your payroll. So on your w, uh, W-4 is where you file, uh, where you, you say what you want your tax withholding to be, and then your W-2 is the tax filing you receive from your employer. Hopefully in uh, mid-January every year, it's where they say this is how much you got paid, this is how much tax was withheld. This is how much you contributed to your uh, your IRA, your, your retirement accounts. Nancy? Oh, well, I did. I get it right? Impo- yes, you did. Uh, but I think it's important to look at those deductions every year. So when you file your taxes, and this year, if you get a big refund, and we've all, of course, we've talked about people who like to have their big refunds, but maybe you need to adjust and include more dependents on your W-4. So go back to your human resources folks and just have that conversation about, well, maybe I'm having too much ta- tax taken out or the other painful side, when you have to write a check to the IRS at tax filing season, you may need to adjust your dependents down. So the more dependents you have on your W-4, the less tax is taken out of each paycheck. So uh, we're well into tax season. In fact, the, the deadline is coming up, what, in a um, couple of less than two weeks, I guess it is? Maybe? April 18th. Yeah. April 18th. So what would you do if you haven't gotten the W-2 form by now? Oh, no. I would I would quit your job. That's not, that's <laughs> not <No>. great. <laughs> They should you you should have received this in early January. It's one of the one of the easier forms to crank out because all of the payroll stuff obviously happened last year, so that should be wrapped up. Go to your HR, go to whoever handles your payroll, and um, give them a good shake. <laughs> Um, all right, so let's talk a little bit more about uh, got about a minute and a half left in this portion of the show. Uh, the W-4, what exactly does it look like? Nancy, I know you mentioned dependents, but if it's a, a single person like me, how do I know uh, how much to increase or decrease my withholdings, uh, as the case may be? 
Well, you may list one on there because you are the one person who is filing in your household. Um, so you can actually list zero, and, and that's an option. And you can talk to human resources. In some cases, you can ask for an additional dollar amount to be deducted depending on your personal situation. And this happens a lot if I have a couple where I have one, a, a big difference in their earnings. So I could have one that's on the lower side, one that's on the upper side. And when I put together those two, I see something in the middle. So um, someone on a lower income side may not be having enough taken out when they consider the total income of their household. So, Ryder, do you, can you factor that in immediately, or do you, when you make your adjustments, do you kind of have to wait for the next year to see how it plays out, or can you somehow anticipate what it's going to be? Well, it's inherently you are trying to anticipate what your income and your situation is going to be this year. And, and I will say in recent years with uh, pretty big changes in, in tax rules in the past few years, withholding guidance has gotten, I feel, a lot better. And so the W-4 is really for those... Weird situations. If you have a lot of, if you know you're going to have a lot of deductions and so you want to have a little less withheld, or like Nancy said, you have an extreme difference in incomes and so withholding might not be accurate in, in those cases. But for most folks, withholding has gotten pretty good and so they probably won't even have to bother trying to fill that form out. Our For the Love of Mississippi on-air fundraiser campaign is happening right now. It's an opportunity to support your community through a gift to this not-for-profit radio station. We call it Drive Time. Thanks for listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4-CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Tapp, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. We're playing a numbers game today with digits that relate to personal finance. Play along with us and test your personal finance knowledge. And what a better time for this two-for-one match on our drive time because this is the personal finance show, and to put your money to the best work, Contribute right now, as we say, for every dollar that's contributed, our member is matching $2 to that. So you really can make a major difference with your contribution this hour. Call us right now and to make that contribution. Nancy is joining us via Skype. And, Nancy, that is a lovely-looking den that you're in. Tell us, tell us where you're broadcasting from. Thank you. I'm up in North Carolina. And, uh, you know, I left Mississippi to come up here for a little while. And it was summertime in Mississippi. And I had to break out my 
my sweaters and jackets when I got up here. Yeah. Well, good. I hope you're enjoying the cool weather as we, we're getting soaked down here. Uh, it's really been some uh, bad bouts of weather, and uh, we're enduring this one. By the way, we will keep you up to date on any of the severe weather as it tracks its way through Mississippi. We'll have our programming. We're having our drive time, but it's important that we keep you up to date uh, when severe threaten, uh, severe weather threatens. So uh, rest assured that we will keep you uh, up to date if uh, severe weather uh, is impacting anyone here in Mississippi. All right, so on with the numbers game. If someone says, Chapter 7 and Chapter 13. What are they talking about? I think we let uh, Ryder start before, so Nancy, why don't you take the first stab at this one? Chapter 7 and Chapter 13. Well, they're talking about bankruptcy, and we've had some great shows on bankruptcy and uh, guests that have come on, and I would encourage people to go back and, and listen to some of those podcasts if that's what you're facing. Um, there's personal bankruptcy and business bankruptcy. 7 and 13, we're talking about personal bankruptcy. And Chapter 7 is total liquidation. Um, it has a lot stricter requirements as far as income, as far as who can apply for that, where basically everything gets wiped out. And of course, your credit record and score is going to get wiped out for an extended period of time, too. Chapter 13 is reorganization. So what you're going to do in that situation is there will be some court mandate for how you will repay your debts, but you will get some relief along the way so that you can do that based on your current income. So bankruptcy is not as difficult and as terrible a thing as it used to be. We've had some changes in the law. If you run into this situation, you need to consult with a bankruptcy attorney and see if this fits you, and don't just sit there and let yourself get weighed down. Go ahead and address it. Uh, Ryder, are there eligibility cutoffs when it comes to uh, filing for Chapter 7 or Chapter 13? So the the two different ones, like Nancy highlighted, they have – the differences are mostly in, you know, what are the debts that you have and – if you're totally unable to pay it off, then I believe she was – and I don't know the difference between the, the, the outcomes of each. I believe she was saying seven, you're kind of wiped clean. So if this is – you don't have a job. You don't have really have income anymore beyond what you can sustain yourself on, and there's just no chance of having things paid back, then you would go that route. And if it is just a matter of everything has kind of piled up too quickly and your prospects are still really fine, you just need to totally stretch it out, reduce the burn of some of those debts and stretch them out some, then that would be the Chapter 13 route. So those are, the, those are different options available for people. And um, also, we watch the number of bankruptcy filings. They usually rise in times of recession and difficult economic times. My uh, word of caution to folks right now, as we have seen some of that stimulus money dry up and, you know, we have money in our pockets and we're getting excited and we're glad to be out there and about, we're starting to see credit card balances rise. So that's where you can get yourself into trouble because you get a little bit carried away. And certainly, you know, uh, the employment situation is great right now. You feel like it's going to go on forever. This is the time to really start saving and banking some of that and get getting yourself ready for the next downturn. 
All right, we're playing the numbers game on Money Talks this morning. You're up, uh, Ryder. When you hear that someone has turned 65 years old, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I think happy birthday. Way to go. <laughs> um, I'm thinking you can't play that When I'm 64 song for them anymore. Those are, I think those are the, really the most important things for them. No, 65 is the age that you are Medicare eligible. So it's actually a period of time around when you turn 65 is when you can sign up for it. You have a few months before and after to make sure you're signed up, you've picked out your plan. And so that... That that's when that's when they get Medicare, and that's fantastic because healthcare is a very large expense for retirees, for older folks, especially if you are no longer on a workplace plan, no longer on a workplace subsidized plan. So that's a big deal for a lot of people. And Medicare was enacted, I believe, 1964. I think I'm right there, and um, it is for people 65 and up. And it's a, a wonderful benefit to have. Now, it can be confusing to a lot of people when they're faced with that alphabet list of items they have to choose from and whether to go with uh, an Advantage plan or the old line Medicare. And a lot of that depends on the state that you're living in. Um, you have two months before your 65th birthday month. The, the actual month you turn 65 and two months after. So I believe there's a five-month window. Mm -hmm. If you go outside of that window, if you wait too long, you're going to be hit with a penalty on your premiums, and you're going to pay that penalty forever. So don't miss your window. Uh, and I'd like to point out that uh, the last two subjects we talk about, bankruptcy and uh, the Medicare, uh, are we have talked about in the past. So our Money Talks uh, archive podcast uh, is a good way to go back and, and pick up on some things. We've covered a lot of different things, but if you do some searching, uh, you should be able to find some programs about both of those topics. We are playing a numbers game today with digits that relate to personal finance. Can you guess what our experts will say before they say it? We're back to you, Nancy, with our next number. It's a trick question. The number is 70 and a half, 70 and a half years old. Well, and it's getting trickier by the day because we're watching some policy changes on this. So 70 and a half had been the time when once you reach that age, you have to start taking out RMDs, and that stands for Required Minimum Distributions. That is a minimum amount that's calculated that you have to take out of your IRA accounts, your retirement accounts, and go ahead and pay the taxes on them because you've never paid the tax. And so the IRS wants to make sure they get their money eventually. Now, that has been changed just recently to age 72, and we've dropped the half. Uh, Ryder hates that. He loves the half. I always hated the half. And, uh, but there is legislation now that's gone through the House. We're waiting to see if it will become law. Well, they're talking about increasing that gradually from 72 to now 75. So that makes a huge difference in how you plan, and it also makes a difference in how we have been looking at Roth conversions and how we can go ahead and take advantage of possibly some lower tax rates now and get prepared for those bigger required minimum distributions when you hit that magic age. And so 
One thing to point out, though, age 70 and a half, again, classically my favorite age in finance, or one of my, probably one of my top 100 ages in finance, I'll say that to, uh, to be. I know it's very controversial for a lot of people. It is still the age at which you can take qualified charitable distributions from an IRA. So that, it used to be somewhat linked to the RMD, somewhat linked to the, it was the same age, but now the qualified charitable distribution is still at the age of 70 and a half. So even if you're not RMD age, i.e. 72, you may still be eligible to take qualified charitable distributions from that IRA. And just as Nancy was saying, they may extend that age of the required minimum distribution. It may, may be 75 one day. That does not necessarily mean that you want to wait until age 75 to take that required distribution. It is As we always say, it depends on your personal situation, but especially if you have a a lot of your worth is tied up in your 401k or your IRA, you may just be letting that grow. And at some point that when you shift from working to retired and to living out of that account, that shifts from being a, a great place to put money away in a tax deferred way to becoming a tax burden for your future. So if it's more money than you're going to need, you may still want to start that earlier so you can try to spread those taxes out just a little bit longer. Uh, do we have any idea how they ever came up with uh, 70 and a half in the first place? A uh, half year like that. Oh, so half year I love because your 70 and a half birthday falls in the calendar year in which you are mostly 70. So for instance, if your birthday is in December, you're going along the whole year thinking I'm not I'm not 70 yet. I'm not 70 yet. And so if it's the 70 and a half, it's the year where you know, you're thinking you're you're 70 most of the time. So now that it's 72, well if if your birthday is on the last day of the year, you're actually going to be taking it when you're 71. Uh, now that we've mentioned 72, that's our next number. Ryder, what's the rule of 72? Oh, so the rule of 72 is kind of a shorthand way of calculating compound returns. So if you divide 72 by, and, and I hope this is the rule that, I, that I'm, I'm, I'm getting because I know this one's a common one, uh, you divide an interest rate or a growth rate, you divide 72 by that growth rate, that is how long it would take compounding that growth to, to double. So if you are earning 1% in your bank account, and if you are, let us know where that is, because you probably haven't earned 1% in your bank account for a long time. It would take you 72 years to double that money. Um, If you are earning... 2%, then it would take you 36 years. If you were earning 3%, then it would take you 24 years. So you can kind of just go from there, say you're getting 10, say you're estimating you're getting at 10%. That's going to be a little over seven years when you double your money. And that's where we kind of get those figures for the stock market saying, oh, if it's seven to 10% a year, then it's going to take you seven to 10 years to double. So, Ryder, I know you're nowhere near 65 or 70 or 70 half or 72 because you did all that math in your head just like that and came up with the right answers. That was, that, that it was, was It's a lot of pressure doing it live on the radio, though. Someone is out there with a calculator like, is he sure about that? 
yeah, he loves math, and so <laughs> that's why he loves that half, and it drives me crazy. It always has driven me crazy, and it's confusing to explain to clients. But you don't have a December birthday, Nancy, so of course it this drives you crazy. I've got a January birthday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, got about a minute. A quick extra point here. What's the rule of 71 or the rule of 73, Nancy? Oh, my gosh, I don't know. Ryder, Uh-oh. do you know? What are these like? Just approximations on the rule of seventy-two? I don't. I don't know. Who 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 wrote this question? <laughs> All right. Well, sometimes even our experts get stumped, but that's uh, not a problem. If you if you know the answer to that, call in and donate seventy-one or seventy-three dollars a month, and we will credit you with the correct answer. That's what. That's the rule of 71 or 73. It's how much you should give to MPB this month. That's right. And we'll take anything we can get on this uh, drive time. It's a special drive time edition of uh, Money Talks. And you are listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for choosing MPB as your station for news and ideas. It means a lot to us and to the community at large that a nonprofit station like MPB can thrive in such a crowded media landscape. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. We're glad you found our show, Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Here's a reminder, Tuesdays at 10 a.m., listen live to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. It always follows Money Talks. We're playing a numbers game today with digits that relate to personal finance. You can play along with us and test your personal finance knowledge. Our numbers are getting larger with each question. And uh, just a reminder, it's a two-for-one match today, so if you make a contribution every dollar, that's contributed today will be matched by $2. So it's the best time for you to make the biggest bang for your buck. And what an appropriate time to have it during this show where we talk about personal finance. Next, we've got a series of numbers, 401K, 403B, and 457. Who wants to take that one? Ryder, why don't we let you have it? Ooh, yes. So those are those are great numbers. And speaking of a match, a 401K is a tax-deferred savings plan offered through your employer they very often offer a match. They offer, if you put in a dollar, they will put in a dollar. Very common is a match up to, say, 3% or a match up to 6% or even some kind of formula where it's, oh, if you give 4%, we'll do 2 and if you do 6%, we'll do whatever. Uh, so 401k, a 403b, 457, all of these are tax-deferred plans for retirement savings offered through an employer, and they all have a very, very high uh, maximum contribution for the employee that's going to be twenty thousand five hundred this year up to a total of sixty one thousand I believe once you include the employer contributions and if they allow discretionary contributions to it 
Now the difference what is about the ketchup. What about the ketchup? Oh, uh, ketchup. Forget the old folks, Kevin. We were just talking about people who hit age seventy and a half, and you didn't like them, Nancy. <laughs> no, I didn't. So Not there we go. Okay. Well, so you, there's a ketchup provision, which is how much is that ketchup provision this year, Nancy? Um, six. Thousand, I think six it? or seven thousand. It is some six. somewhere around. It's it's a generous catch up for people who's hit what age, Nancy? Fifty or over. For fifty or older, that was a number we didn't put in there. We should we should have had that in there. Uh, so a key difference in between these is actually who offers them, and so differences just kind of be tendencies between the plans. Four hundred one k is very popular amongst private employers, larger employers. They're very expensive to administer because you have so many options. You can do anything with a four hundred one k plan. So we're we're giving you a very simplified version, but they have so many different options to them. Uh, you can have profit sharing contributions to it you can have loans off of them you can have features which are vesting features so that the employer can put money in and the employee earns it later but still allows it to grow a 403b is a little more straightforward often uh offered at nonprofits, uh, hospitals, and schools. Often we don't see good stuff here. It is meant to be rep- a replacement for pensions, and so you often see annuities in there. If you hear us talk about annuities, the concept is great. Some of them are run well, but for the most part, they are expensive contracts that want, that lock you in there. And then a 457, there's actually two types of 457. There's a governmental 457, and then there's a private 457. The governmental 457 is something like Mississippi Deferred Compensation or PERS. Those are 457 plans. All of these are just referring to the IRS the line in the IRS code or the the section code in the code uh, where they derive their benefits from and their definitions from 457s. So for government agencies can offer these, but when private agencies do, it gets a little interesting. They use these very often for very highly compensated employees, executives, doctors often have them. It's an additional plan with the same limit as, say, a 401k or 403b, but it is in addition, very often it can be in addition to the 401k. These are very complicated to administer, I am led to believe, because most of these, while it is great to have that additional deferral, most of the plans that I have seen are actually extraordinarily expensive. And so one and, and also they are really weirdly limited once you do retire in, in your withdrawal. So they don't have a lot of features. They're weird to administer and they can be really expensive. But if you are a highly compensated employee, then it can be a great Uh, thing to take advantage of the tax benefit. And I want to go back to, you know, we mentioned these amounts, 20,500, somewhere in the 27,000 range. If you're over 50, I often hear people say, oh, I'm contributing the max to my 401k. And when I start to investigate that, they think the max is the most their employer will match. Mm-hmm. And certainly you want to at least do that amount. That's the minimum. That, that's, the free, that's the free money. Yeah. 
It's free money. It's a dollar on the floor. Reach down and pick it up. It's a hundred percent return on your money. But you can go above and beyond that, and we always encourage people to do that, to reach for that max. Now, most people can't make that amount because you got to pay the bills in the meantime, but stretch yourself as much as possible. It's going to work out and be good for you when you hit 70 and a half or 72 or 75 or whatever it is. Or earlier, if you uh, want to retire earlier. Come on, let's be positive. By the way, I, I certainly would relish the chance to catch up. <clears throat> Okay, drum shot, rim shot, something there. Come on, some sort of reaction, a groan, maybe. Is that (laughs) going to be our pun of the day, Kevin? (laughs) What do we have in store? We've got another three-digit number, and I think, Nancy, this is one of your favorites, 529. Uh, Yeah, so um, this is an educational savings account, and uh, this is something we have a lot of grandparents we work with who love to do these, but great for parents as well. And these are state-sponsored educational savings accounts, and uh, Mississippi has one, uh, actually two plans. They have a, an impact and a max. So talk to your financial advisor about what works best for you. These plans have now been opened up to allow for uh, tuition for K through 12 in a private school. So there are options there to use that. And depending on your state of residence, you need to look at whether there is a tax break. You don't have to go to the state of residence. You can use another state's plan, but consider what you're bypassing as far as tax advantages. Ryder, any additions on the your thoughts on the 529 plans? No, I think that's a good summary. Every state offers one. If your state does not have tax benefits that, that work for you or you're not, for instance, uh, folks who are retired in Mississippi no longer pay Mississippi state tax. Also, we're talking about getting rid of the state income tax. So I'm not really sure what the benefit to sticking with our plan is going to be. But you can shift to another one just because you like the administrator, because you like the, the online login, you get better service there. We certainly have folks who who may may live in Mississippi but use a different plan for for various reasons but important to remember people always ask do I have to use the one of the state no you can use any of them in any state that the the educate education benefits are a federal benefit and it can even extend to uh, qualified higher education expenses uh, overseas as well because again and- you'd be a federal taxpayer just because you used a Mississippi plan does not mean you have to go to a Mississippi school. Correct. It will apply anywhere. Not surprising. We've talked about this before, so you can look through our archives, archives or back podcasts to find more information on the 529 plans that Mississippi offers. Uh, next in our numbers game is, if you're a history buff, you might, might know 1066, but we're talking about 1099. Nancy, what does it mean in personal finance? Oh, we're very familiar with 1099. So um, a 1099 is um, income that comes to you that you have to declare on your tax return. It could be income that you earn as a contract person, as a consultant. In our job, uh, most of the time, it's going to be interest and dividends and capital gains from your investment portfolio. A 1099-R would be you've taken distributions from your retirement account. So all the 1099 is is a reporting of some sort of income that also gets reported to the IRS, Mm -hmm. and so it better show up somewhere on your income taxes or they're going to catch it. 
Uh, so I want to go back to 1066. Why, why did we put that in there if we're not going to talk about it? it so, so y'all, Haley's Comet, right? That's one of them. And then the Norman invasion of Britain. So those are the, are there any other good ones that we, that we're missing out here? Well, the, the Norman invasion is a pretty big one, I think. What? A comet? is That's big. Now, see, I didn't realize. So, Haley's Comet was yeah, 1066. I think right. so. Yeah, I always thought that was neat that those things like Do you think they were like, we've got to follow the comet <laughs> to Britain? Uh, what were we hoping to find there? I don't and know. And Haley's Comet, I think, comes around every 72 years. Uh-oh, here we go. Oh, oh, it? oh, oh, it's a conspiracy. Oh, oh no. Uh, if ever you needed a conspiracy on this show, this is about as good as you're going to get, folks. Uh, yeah, all your miscellaneous income on your 1099 uh, things like that if you pay if you pay um, non non employees so it, it is as Nancy said it's income it's being reported to the IRS as well so you better take note of it um, and as Nancy mentioned the dividend I used to get the 1099 DIV when I was uh, getting uh, dividends but even when I was uh, a youth soccer referee mm. um, they the first couple of years it was a little bit under the table uh, but later they I guess they oh. realized I, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna have to edit that out on the podcast. We can't save that. But uh, so your side hustle, your you know your your part time gigs uh, will also result in those. And as we we're saying, you just can't get it and ignore it. You need to put that in because that is income that you've earned during the year. And he, while he, while Kevin may have been paid under the table, he was definitely reporting it faithfully as as a good taxpayer. Yeah, I'm just wondering if there's a statute of limitations. <laughs> we can certainly hope. So, <laughs> uh, so again, what is on the? It's just a, a record of this extra income that you've uh, accumulated one way or another throughout the year. Yes, there's a lot of different options there for different things that can be filled out, but most frequently it's the dollars paid to you, any dollars withheld. There may be a couple of other spots for various codes. You know, what was the nature of this payment? What was the nature of this withholding? But it, it's pre- usually pretty straightforward. Forward for for those 1099s. For the brokerage 1099s, it actually does go much further into the details of, oh, you sold this specific stock, you got a dividend from this specific stock. But the kind of front page is most of what you need. It's it's what were the dividends? Were they qualified? Were they regular dividends? Did you have capital gains? Did you have interest, etc.? I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Money Talks is brought to you by MPB listeners who are also supporters. This is radio for the community, supported by the community. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.